0: And, you know, looking back on this story I just told, no one told me a lot of things. Yeah, that's for Um, sure. But this is the one that I was, like, most upset about. Like, Yeah. yeah, it seems really obvious when they were explaining the surgery that I wouldn't have my birthmark anymore. But, like... I just wasn't expecting it, and it took me really aback. And the way I felt about it took me really aback, where, like, I've been seeing a therapist uh, or social worker through my school uh, ever since I was in kindergarten, but for, like, a year and a half after my surgery, like, we just talked exclusively about this because I was so upset about it. Mm
1: Welcome to In Sickness and In Health, a podcast about chronic illness, disability, medical traumas and everyday uncomfortable healthcare experiences. My name is Kara Gale. I'm not a doctor or a medical professional, I'm just a person and a patient who really wants to talk about this stuff more. Nothing said on this show should ever be considered medical advice. If you're experiencing a medical issue, please seek qualified medical help. I know the system sucks, but I do wish you a lot of luck. Every person is different, even within disease groups, so none of my guests should ever be regarded as official representatives or spokespersons for their conditions. Please respect their very personal choices, and unless they ask for it, please don't make suggestions about treatments or lifestyle changes. Unsolicited medical advice is never not annoying. I'm going to keep this intro short because I'm feeling pretty crappy, but this is the first of many episodes to come about traumatic medical experiences. Well, pretty much the whole show is about traumatic medical experiences, but I don't think we really talked about that very directly yet. Uh, next week will be another episode that talks more about medical traumas and where they fit into the landscape of post-traumatic stress responses. Uh, for today's episode, we talk about some of what Sol has been through during Faye childhood, including three skin expander surgeries following the removal of a birthmark on Soul's head. Faye talks about those surgeries being under-medicated most of that time, finding out about a codeine allergy the hard way, not realizing how traumatic it all was until later, and how that's complicated the process of transitioning from pediatric to adult care. In today's bonus episode, we talk about needle phobia and figuring out Sol was autistic late in their teens. You can find resources and more from us at InSicknessPod.com and on social media at InSicknessPod. Please shoot me an email at InSicknessPod at gmail.com, and if you can, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. I hope you enjoy this episode.
0: Birthmark on my forehead um, on the right side from my hairline all the way uh, through an eyebrow um, out through my uh, past above my ear um, and no one like it was cool hair grew from it like the rest of the hair on my head um, and I had this birthmark you know uh, until I had my first surgeries um, and the problem with it was there was this bump that started to form on my head um, on the top of my head uh, behind this birthmark and it started off really small and so no one was particularly worried about it because you know sometimes kids just have weird bumps Um, but it got bigger and bigger and we didn't really know what it was and I got taken to a lot of doctors and a lot of specialists Um, and I remember particularly an incident where Uh, I was taken to the basement of a hospital and put in a little tiny room, um, and then all these doctors and med students and nurses and experts from all across the country, um, paraded through this little room and poked and prodded and looked at my bump with these magnifying glasses. And it was about a hundred people who were touching my head that day, trying to figure out what this thing was, um... Because it's, I don't remember what it's called, but it's this rare obscure thing where it's a bunch of skin and hair cells that were just growing out of control in a tumor. Um, a and teratoma?
1: Really- is that the name?
0: I don't know. I was, like, eight or five when this happened. I don't remember the official name. um, But it's this rare thing that took them a long time to figure out. But then when they figured out what it was, it was like, oh, yeah, that thing. Like, not a big deal. It's not cancerous. Um, The deal with me is that it might, like, it just grows a lot. It grows to be really big, and it might have grown to cover an eye, which uh, would have been, you know, really deforming to live with a giant mass of skin and hair cells that covered part of my face. Um, And then also it would really affect me for not being able to like see out of one eye. Um, So I had it removed. Um, And another like origin story through this when they were trying to figure it out. I don't remember if this was before or after the parade of doctors. Um, But like we would come into, we came into all these doctor's offices and with photos of me from a baby and we'd tell them all about this birthmark and this bump. And one of the times we were going through this exercise, I was taken in a small exam room away from my parents and they removed a portion of this bump. Um, And I was eight years old when this happened, and they didn't give me any anesthesia Uh or anything to numb the pain locally or throughout my entire body. Um, They just had three nurses holding me down as someone else um, cut into my scalp to remove a... A section of this bump that they could look at under a microscope and help them figure out what it was um, and my parents did not know this happened like talking with them later cuz you know like I was in this room screaming for their help because um, they didn't explain to me that what was happening either. And then when they let me out, like they, they let me calm down in this room for a little while. When they let me out, my parents were sitting on the other side of the door. And I just remember feeling so betrayed when I was like finally allowed to rejoin them because I was like, you were standing out there the entire time. Like, couldn't you hear me? Couldn't you at least come in and hold my hand? Like, what were they doing? What was this for? Um, but eventually, like we did find out, oh, it's this bump. Um, It's this thing. It's not a big deal. You're going to have it removed. Um, And we lived in Chicago at the time. And there's the guy who does the skin expander surgeries, like the professional like, big-wig people from China come and have these surgeries done by him because he's the best in the world. That guy. Um, Since we lived in Chicago and since my mom worked in the medical school, I think, that he, like, worked in, it might have been a different one, but she's also a big person in a medical school, not in a doctor sense, in a dean-administrator sense. Um, She was able to get a slot from him that someone else had canceled, and so they just gave me the slot. Um... Since, yay, I'm so privileged, that got to happen. Um, And so it was like, I was told, okay, this is what the bump is that you have not known what it was for years and years, and you went through this traumatic, you know, ripping it out, part of it out of your head to figure out what it is. Um, This is what it is. It's not a big deal. You're going to have it removed in surgery in a month. Um, And then I went through my first surgery ever. Um, And it started off really nice. You know, some nurses came and they explained to me about um, I might wake up with a breathing tube, I might wake up with like uh, those electrodes on my chest, I might wake up with one of those things that clamps on your finger and detects your oxygen levels, um, and just sort of showing me mannequins with these things on it and really nicely explaining explaining all this to me. Um, And I was like, okay, this seems cool, like I can totally handle this. Um, I was 10 years old when this was happening, and I picked out my, um, like, the flavor for my anesthesia. I had, like, a half-hour Wait, wait, wait,
1: wait, wait. wait. They make flavored anesthesia?
0: They do, yeah.
1: Wow. I did not know that. Do you remember, like, the selection of flavors that they had?
0: I do. They had orange, banana, strawberry, um, grape. Uh, you know, like the flavors for the fluoride crap? Yeah. On your teeth? It's basically like that. So they had bubblegum. Um, they did not have mint, Disgusting. which I would have chosen mint <laughs> if they had mint. Um, but they had a couple of their flavors. Those are the wow. ones I really remember. Okay. Um, so I picked my flavor. I ended up going with orange Um, I can't really remember. Like it was my dad's dad was urging me to go with orange, and I don't really remember why. Um, But we had like this really big discussion in the hospital room while we were waiting for doctors and paperwork and other stuff. That like when you're doing your first day of surgery, there's a lot. Oh my God, there's a lot of steps involved before they put you on that operating table. So while we were waiting, like my parents were engaging me by discussing this, and I felt so good about my choice. Um, and it was, you know, being herded from one thing to the other. At the time, I remember it being really fun, and I had my little stuffed dog, um, that's my comfort object, and they gave it a little bracelet, like, a a little medical bracelet to match my bracelet, and I still have that, by the way. Um, and then I was put on the gurney, um, in the... I feel like I actually went through surgery in my clothes, which I think is weird and unusual, but, um... I woke up in my clothes, and but they took my clothes away from me at one point, so I don't really remember how that happened, um, but they rolled me into the hospital room, and it was actually, um, it was in February this happened. Uh, I, th- I don't think it was February 10th, it might have been February 10th. That's weird because um, today is actually yeah. February tenth. I, yeah, I, I just realized that my first that wow. this might be the anniversary of my first surgery. Yeah, well, congratulations. You know <laughs> yeah, it would be my ninth anniversary if it was. Wow. Um, so they wheel me in, uh, and they you know they put me under, and I'm counting backwards from ten. Um, And I think it's pretty good, like, being, uh, kind of blacking out from anesthesia was a really cool experience for me. (laughs) Um, I was, like, really aware of just, like, losing consciousness, and I was like, this is so fascinating.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, But then I woke up just feeling absolutely horrible. Like, I couldn't open my eyes, um, which they were bruised shut from... um, the, you know, the head surgery is head trauma and your eyes bruise, you know, you get raccoon eyes whenever you go through really bad head trauma. Um, and I'd also been given a medication that we later found out I was allergic to codeine. That's always Um, fun. Yeah. Which made the eyes bruising so much worse. So I could not open my eyes for the first several hours after surgery. Um, my throat was so raw. Um, I'm really prone to getting sore throats in the winter. Like, every year I get a sore throat for about a week to two weeks. Yeah. This was the worst sore sore throat I had ever had in my life. Um, And, like, everything about my body just really, really hurt. And I was still, like, exhausted and confused. And I didn't know where my parents were. And I really wanted water. Um, And so I'm – I don't even know where I am, by the way, when I wake up. Uh, So I'm – you know, I'm going through all this confusion, and I just say water, water, like several times before anyone can even hear that I'm asking for water. Um, and I don't remember why, but until I got settled into the like bed I was staying, in, they wouldn't give me any water, hmm. um, which I don't even know why to this day. But like that was really, like that made me even more scared. Yeah. Um, And my parents weren't there immediately because I hadn't been moved in the like after surgery room. I was in the after, like the before the after surgery room. Uh Um, And, you know, so I did finally get settled with my parents and I could like creak my eyes open a little bit. And if they stood really, really close to my face, I could tell it was my parents. Um, So once we were reunited, I felt more comfortable. You know, I felt like 10 times worth post-surgery. But instead of throwing up, I burped. And my burp tastes like orange tang. Oh, wow. You know, the stuff you use to clean out of your dishwasher. So um, flavored anesthesia was a terrible idea (laughs) because that did not go away for a full 24 hours after my surgery. Oh, gross. It was so bad. Um, Yeah, surgery is so much fun. I couldn't, like, I had such a hard time walking. Um, and I don't really understand the, like, bladder freeze thing, because um, they made a really big deal when it got close to being uh, – I don't remember how long after surgery, but, like, I needed to pee after a certain amount of time after surgery. And even though I did not want to get up out of my bed, um, they made me get up, up out of my bed and sit on the toilet until I peed. And then the nurses were all really happy. <laughs> and I still don't know what's up with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I, think, I think it's just um... – you know, because they do the same thing with pooping, like usually you can't get discharged until you have a bowel movement or something like that. And I think it's just to make sure that your bladder and your bowels are working and I don't know. Yeah, so it's fun. a weird it's a weird thing when they hold you hostage <laughs> so that you can defecate.
0: That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Especially I um I have pooping problems now I did not have when I was younger. So like I could legitimately like stay in the hospital for a week cuz I just don't have bowel movements that yeah. often. Yeah. <laughs> um and it's concerning, but you know, there are other worse things in my life. Um so the, like, the days after hospital, I guess, were pretty nice. I slept a lot. I was still, despite the, like, pain meds I was on, I was still in a lot of pain. I was still very foggy, and, like, my body felt very, very heavy um, the entire time. And I had drainage tubes, um, oh. which I had the little vacuum ones after my first surgery, which I hated those, and because I could feel the, like, them draining fluid um, from under my skin, and they put them in a terrible spot, because I still had, I had a, um, a skin expander on my forehead, uh, to get rid of the birthmark, and then I had one on the back of my head, um, to get rid of the bump, um, and they, the, there was a big bruise, you know, or just pocket of stuff, uh, building up between those two, and they put the, um, drainage tubes on the side of my head so they weren't able to drain where the fluid was actually building up mm-hmm. um which just it felt so bad to have this pocket of fluid on my head uh, but then when they put the drainage tubes in i could feel it sucking and i'll still sometimes have phantom sucking sensations of like fluid moving around the skin between skin and skull and like you know, like, Charlie horses are bad, that <laughs> sensation is so much worse, um, am getting, like, shivers just thinking about it, yeah, um, and my dad's so weird, my dad's very, like, anti-medication, and after I was discharged from the hospital, he gave me, like, a, a week break from this each time, um, but I had the drainage tubes in for, I think, three weeks, maybe longer, um, Every time I wanted ibuprofen, like, while we were training the drainage tubes, he'd give me this big, long speech of, like, oh, are you sure you you need it? Are you sure the pain's not going to go away on its own in a few minutes? Like, I don't want you to get hooked on this stuff. And, you know, so I believed for a really long time that you could get hooked on ibuprofen <laughs> um, from these speeches I was given. Um, Do so that you was- still,
1: like, have a hard time taking medication? Like when you need it?
0: Sort of. I yeah. um, worked really hard uh, with the therapist sort of around this, um, especially when I was put on an antidepressant. It was a big problem. Um, uh, and also I had really, really bad period cramps up until uh, I started going on birth control. Um, and so I was dealing with these really bad cramps from the time I started menstruating, which was when I was 12, I think. To up until I was 17, um, I was dealing with all of this mostly unmedicated because I was scared to take medication, Um, and no one else took my pain very seriously. So I was never actually given um, a heating pad. I didn't even know we owned heating pads until fairly recently. Um, Aren't they the best? I would occasionally make a heating pad by uh, taking a damp paper towel and microwaving it, and that was my makeshift heating pad for a night, Um, but yeah, it was, I have had a lot of, um, you know, experiences of just feeling really guilty about taking medication too, like not taking it when I needed it and then being affirmed of like, oh, you actually didn't need it because period cramps aren't that bad.
1: Yeah, that's Um, really common even when you don't get a 15-minute lecture on taking ibuprofen as a kid.
0: (laughs) Yeah, um, and then there was a time where I got uh, whapped in the nose playing um, uh, the Israeli kickball game that involves the octagon wooden – Whatever. (laughs) Um, People who know this game will know what I'm talking about Um, I got whapped in really hard playing that game uh, And uh, blacked out And was taken to the emergency room And refused pain, you know, medication uh, Even though I was, like, really, really out of it Like, they were sure I was concussed uh, But I was actually just in a lot of pain I wasn't concussed Um, Because, yeah, like, you know how when you get in a lot of pain You act really weird sometimes? Yep yeah, and I especially, having gone through several painful exp- experiences as a child, Like I act like a young child because I'm just put back into those old memories um, mm-hmm. of being in of being in pain. And then, you know, also it comes with this feeling of really, really needing to be taken care of. Um, and acting like a child has always, you know, people have always taken care of me. Um, which is cute, and I've formed strong memories, you know, with the people who did end up taking care of me during that incident. Um, like, they gave me gauze because I... Got this little cut on my nose, like little cut, but it bled profusely.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, uh, and so they gave me all these gauze pads and they had me like holding some to my nose. Um, and then they also put like a ton on my lap, uh, when I was being wheeled around in a wheelchair at the hospital. Um, and I don't know why I did it, like what the thought process was, but I took apart all of the gauze pads in my lap and I like draped them on my head, Um, and I was like, I'm the beekeeper, and people thought I was really cute, but, you know, that's not something a 15-year-old is supposed to do at the hospital. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, uh, and so the one time uh, that I did end up taking codeine, uh, you know, he made a much bigger deal about that, Uh, and then, of course, we found out I'm allergic, Uh, Uh. but I'll get to that story in a second, Um, because I'm sort of going in order here. Uh, the other thing was when I had these drainage tubes, I was going to school, so I had uh, two to three days in the hospital post-surgery. Um, I had one day resting at home, and then they sent me straight back to school uh, the very next day. Wow. Um, yeah, which was fast um, and intense. Um, and I couldn't, I had to wear a scarf on my head uh, so that other kids didn't have to see these drainage tubes. Um which, like, we kids over, you know, in middle school not able to handle the sight of <laughs> drainage tubes and bloods. Like, that's, that's what I was thinking in my head. Like, I got cut open over here, <laughs> and you can't handle me sitting in front of you in class <laughs> with drainage tubes. And it was also, like, you know, I had my expanders, and you can't really hide expanders with a scarf. Like, it's really obvious that, you know, someone's head is deformed when they have two giant skin expanders. Um, a lot of the teachers sort of ran damage control Um, my sister also fielded a lot of questions um, but it really was like they were just socially aware enough to know like not to talk to me about this Mm -hmm. um, which I appreciated Um, but about that um, and I also didn't have a lot of friends in the first place like I was the socially awkward kid that everyone just ignored so they just kept on ignoring me and I was cool with that Um, but the thing was, I don't know how my parents or the school told the teachers about what was going on, because um, there was, um, a rumor, and I heard this very secondhand, so, like, when I ended up telling my dad about it years later, he's very suspicious that this actually happened, um, but, you know other people in my school had heard this had happened, you know, like that's sort of the point I'm getting at. Um, I was told by a friend of a person in the relevant classroom, um, that the te- that there was a teacher who told all her classes that I had had a lobotomy. Oh God. Um, yeah. And I was always in the disabled student classes. Um, and everyone else knew I was in the disabled student classes and, you know, like I was an autistic kid. I didn't have a diagnosis. Um, but I like, Looking back, I was a very clearly autistic kid. Um, And, you know, her thing was, this teacher's thing was, um, you know, Sol had a lobotomy, and that's, you know, now they're not going to act weird anymore. They're not going to act disabled and crazy anymore. So they're good now, and you can be their friend. Um, Which at the time, I didn't know what a lobotomy was. i didn't care you know and my my dad when i told him this story years later was like why didn't you ever tell me this and the answer was you know like i just had major surgery for the first (laughs) time in my life it wasn't a priority (laughs) Um, but then also um i faced a lot of mistreatment in my disabled class uh which uh, I had told him about later, and I told my mother about later. But at the time, it just seemed totally normal. I was like, yep, this is how teachers um, who run the disabled class, this is how they treat their students, and this is normal, and this is expected, and I had been treated this way all my life. How was I supposed to know that teachers weren't supposed to treat their students this way? Um, This transitions into my um, getting the expanders removed, Uh, so this was about six months, I think, after my initial surgery, and we put, you know, expanded the skin expanders with saline solution, um, uh, I don't remember how often, but, you know, they're, they're at least, like, two and a half times bigger than they were when they started, and I think maybe even three times bigger. They were really big. Um, you know, like, my, my head was basically two heads, um, maybe a little more, (laughs) um, and so um, I just had a really bad day. I thought I was getting sick one day, um, and I went to school anyway. I toughed through it, but then that night I was in a lot of pain, and I hadn't been in, like, that much pain since the initial surgeries, and I was having a hard time sleeping. Um, so I told my dad all this, and I asked for codeine, and he gave me a really big lecture about not taking codeine, and went on and on and on, um, But finally, I'm like, I'm so tired. I just want to sleep and I won't be able to sleep unless I'm not in pain anymore. And I took ibuprofen like this many hours ago and I'm still in pain and I need to not be in pain. I need to go to sleep. I have a big test tomorrow. Um, So eventually gave in and let me have uh, the medicine. I went upstairs, went back to sleep, um, probably stopped breathing in my sleep. Uh, And woke up around midnight feeling really, really cold in my hands and feet and really confused about why I'd gone to sleep, but also really aware that, like, something was wrong and I should probably go downstairs and talk to my parents. Mm -hmm. Um, And I slept in a bunk bed at this time. Oh, no. So, yeah. So it took me, like, probably 45 minutes to climb down from my bunk bed and scoot my butt all the way down the stairs very slowly because I was dizzy and out of it and having a hard time breathing and my parents were watching tv in the room uh, across from the entryway and I couldn't get like from the bottom of the entryway stairs like to the room so I was just laying on my back and I called out mom dad something's wrong um and of course they paused their tv show and mom runs over and dad's much more leisurely about getting himself off the couch and getting himself to look at me Um, And I don't remember too much about that. I remember describing my symptoms of, um, you know, and I was like, the way I was talking was I would take a breath, I would say a word, I would exhale, I would take a breath, say a word, and exhale, like very slowly, hard to get words out, Mm -hmm. Um, and sort of trying to explain my symptoms to them. Um, And for some reason, we didn't get an ambulance. We totally should have gotten an ambulance, but we didn't. Um, So my dad drove me to the ER. Um, and I almost fell asleep again in the car, and I was feeling a lot better. I wanted to go back to sleep. Um, You know, like, I wasn't in pain because, hey, coding is awesome about pain, even though it (laughs) you know killed me almost um, so he's like do you want to just go back home i mean you have this test tomorrow you know we could totally go back home and i'm like no we should see what this is like I, I don't want to either but mom's gonna be mad at you if you don't finish this hospital trip with me um so they take me to the er and the you know the steps from right outside the um where I got dropped off, to, like, inside, just, I was so winded. I was back to being just as bad as I was when I woke up and tried to get down the stairs in the first place. So as my dad is, like, checking me in and going over all our insurance, um, I was directed to sit in a chair, and after, like, a few... I don't know, like a minute of that, I was like, Yeah, this isn't working, I can't breathe. So I lay down on the floor and it went from like, yeah, whatever, we'll get to you in like two hours to oh. okay, get up and get on the skirting. <laughs> so there's a lesson
1: to be to be drawn from this. You go to the emergency room, just lay down on the floor and they might take you more seriously. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, they also might not. It helps if you can't breathe.
1: Yeah, that definitely does help. <laughs>
0: um they poked and prodded me uh the next uh they uh I don't know when they found out and it was allergic reaction um I had a cat scan done which the IV for the cat scan was the most painful IV I've ever had in my life yeah. it felt like my veins were on fire
1: yeah I've never had contrast <laughs> but that's what I hear it sounds terrible
0: and they didn't, like, tell me. They were like, this won't hurt a bit, oh, no. which, you know, I'm used to doctors lying. Right. But, you know, in that case, I think they should be honest because there's, you know, the, the pain level I expect when they say, oh, this won't hurt a bit. Um, but that's not that pain level. Right. That pain level is, this is going to be a little uncomfortable. Yeah. You know? That's still understating it.
1: I, it at <laughs> but, least, like, you know, it lets you brace yourself.
0: <laughs> yeah, and lets me know that, okay, this one's supposed to hurt. Right. A lot. <laughs> you know, um... So that was the, the next morning I had that done. Um, they thought there was something wrong with my lungs was the big concern. Uh, there wasn't, but my like aorta goes the different way than everybody else's way. Oh, um, interesting. Um, so there is nothing wrong with me in that sense. Um, I don't know when we figured out like, oh, it was codeine. Um, but then like, uh, I had the CAT scan, uh, and then they sent me right back to school, so I missed my morning classes that day. Um, or it might have even been the day after. But anyway, like right after this coding incident, um, I had a fever. But we didn't know I had a fever because, like, come on, when you've gone through all that, yeah. you know, a low-grade fever just Seems doesn't like really show up. like not a big deal. Yeah. The, yeah, on the radar when you're like, uh, oh, you know, my head hurts and I feel kind of hot. It's just like, whatever, go to school. <laughs> like, yeah. You've gone to school going through worse. Um, and so I was... Um, studying for a test. And fifth grade was the only uh, good uh, teacher I had for this one who was really kind and understanding and treated disabled students like regular students and respected them. Um, And so, like, we're studying for the paper, studying up on the board, and I'm taking notes. And then I, like, look down to my paper to see what I've written. um, And this big glob of pus just runs off the top uh, of my gross. forehead expander and splats onto my paper. <laughs> um, it was probably like a fourth of a cup of pus. Oh, wow. Uh, so, so I excuse myself to the bathroom, because I didn't know it was pus at the time. I was like, yeah. what is this shit? Um, so I excuse myself to the bathroom, and as I bend over the mirror to get another good look at it, like it all just runs down my face again, um, and it's hot, and there are these like clumps of gritty stuff in it, Um, and I go back to my teacher, and I show her my paper with the gunk on it, and I say, I think something's wrong, and she sent me to the nurse's office, Um, and then my parents showed up, and they were like, yep, you've got a really bad infection, they called the doctor, and the next morning I had emergency surgery to have the expanders removed. Oh, wow. Um, Which had been, we would planned to keep them in for another month, I think, so we didn't get it all done. Had to do it again, and at the end of my first round, instead of having vacuum suction suction tubes, they gave me the like big bulb uh, ones, like if you get not pumping, but just letting gravity do it.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: So if you get chest uh, surgery, uh, the trans chest surgery. If you get that done, um, that's the same drainage tubes you have, which, um, mm-hmm. I'm trans and I hang out in a lot of, uh, trans spaces and whenever someone, uh, in our support group is getting chest surgery, like I just can't show up until they have those tubes out because I just can't see those tubes. No. Yeah. You know, um, I don't mean to be, you know, like horrible about it, but, uh, the first time I didn't tell anyone it was a problem for me and it ended up causing a lot of problems Mm. Um, in terms of, like, me, you know, like, me being very uncomfortable in the space I should have been comfortable with and me being standoffish towards people and not meaning to and just all sorts of problems. Yeah.
1: Um, At that time, did you realize, like, before you were in that situation, did you realize that that might be an issue for you? or, Or did you find yourself in this situation and then be like, I'm freaking out?
0: Yeah, the second one. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely the second one. Um, which is kind of hard because my partner is now talking about having chest surgery, which, like, great, go them. Like, that's probably the right choice for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I need to, like, not be around them for the month that they have those tubes in. Yeah. Um, I can support them in other ways. I can support them, you know, long distance. Um, but we're just not going to meet face-to-face yeah. until those tubes are out. Yeah. <laughs> Um, which they understand. They're wonderful. That's good. Uh, it is. It's really good. Um, but so those are like, those tubes, they stay in for a long time. Um, and because of my infection and sort of the infection risk associated with these tubes, which the infection was why we switched tubes, um, we needed to, I, I didn't basically go to school until they were out, which, you know, was pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I was also like, post-infection, was pretty exhausted from um you know, the surgeries, like even more so, like they didn't put me on codeine again because they were like, oh, you're allergic to it. And my raccoon eyes were much better. Um, I recovered much faster. Like I, when they, when they like started bugging me to get up and pee, it wasn't like a big, like, oh, I'm so tired. I just want to sleep. It was like, yeah, okay. I can do this right now. Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
0: so I was, I was walking around much faster. Um, the problem of like anesthesia burp flavors was much better. (laughs) I picked strawberry the second time, by the way. Um, uh, and, like, all in all, like, it was just a better round of surgery, but, like, when I got home, I was still really tired, and I think it was the switching tubes. Yeah, switching um, tubes,
1: and also when your body is fighting an infection. Like, yeah, that's, that yeah. can be really exhausting.
0: So I laid around and slept a lot, uh, and watched Star Trek, and it was, um, it was nice. It was also kind of lonely, and, you know, I still felt terrible. Um, and then they took the tubes out, which was oh my god it was the worst thing ever because these tubes have square ends but the like tubes themselves are round so you're pulling a square out of a round hole and Mm. you know when they took this out it was also when they were taking out the other you know thousand stitches I had um so they were taking this out and they didn't like, cut all the stitches. So when this person is pulling the tube out of my head, not only are they pulling this square tube, like, square Mm. end out of a round hole, but they also pull off, like, a good chunk of skin with it because they didn't cut all the stitches. Um, And, of course, I'm sitting there screaming, and they're like, it's not a big deal. And then, of course, when it comes up with Ah. the patch of skin, they're like, okay, you know, your (laughs) screaming was valid. (laughs) Ah. You know? Um... I hated that. Yeah. (laughs) That was terrible. Sounds awful. Yeah. I don't even remember what the rest of that doctor's visit was about. Because, you know, like, it hurts so much more than the other tubes. And, like, they were bigger. So I would have thought that, like, like, they hurt less for some reason. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when, like, they pull them out and, like, I can see them, I'm like, oh, no wonder this hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that was fun. And then we went through, like, the... um, so then I had my summer off, um, and the other thing was I had long hair, like about as long as I had now, um, and to put the skin expanders in, they they didn't shave all my head, so I had like half of my head had no hair, and half of my head had hair. You but were so ahead too-
1: of your time. Like, no, I wasn't so in like now. Head,
0: <laughs> I would have been fine if it was like that, but yeah. it was like they shaved um, part of the side of my head, yes, but the entire back of my oh. head was gone. It was like a reverse mole, was what it was like. Hmm. (laughs) Um, But so then we had to cut off the rest of my hair After the expanders was done So like yeah I'm walking around with expanders For like my entire 5th grade school year But worse than that I have this terrible haircut so we cut off the the rest of my hair um you know so like it looked so when my head was back at its normal size like it looked decent um but then you know my head also looked like raw meat because that's what healing new skin just looks like um it's so gross and then there's this little corner that they didn't quite get to um That I still have. That was so gross. That was like a huge scab the size of like three quarters put in a little triangle for the longest time. It didn't scar over. um, I think until the next surgery. And then they were like, that's such a small spot. Like, let's not deal with it again, I think. Um, So I came in for my second round and this the, no my third my third surgery and i was like let's not do the anesthesia flavors anymore like those are all gross i'm just gonna do plain <laughs> anesthesia and i was also like since the day after like waking up from surgery is literally the worst thing ever um i'm just gonna sleep for that entire day and to make myself sleep for the entire day i'm gonna stay up late playing video games which seemed like an awesome plan when you're yeah. 11 right um <laughs> so i do this um and I loved the staying up late and playing video games part. And I told my parents, so they were like, "Oh, that sounds like a plan." And they let me stay up playing video games until like five in the morning. Um, so I wasn't complaining about being hungry or thirsty or any of this other stuff because I was just so dang tired as I'm hmm. going through my surgery prep that like it doesn't even occur to me to be like, "I'm hungry. I want food." Yeah. Um, so they like give me they they put me through surgery. Um, and uh, you know, like I wake up and I'm really, really tired, and I have burps, and the burps that aren't flavored aren't the worst. <laughs> like the others were bad, but non-flavored burps. Oh my god, I felt like I ate a skunk.
1: Hello.
0: Yeah. And <laughs> um, but so I'm just like, this was a good plan. I'm gonna sleep for the entire day today, and everything's gonna be good. So I did, and you know, like I woke up in the middle of the night. Because that's just what happens when you sleep all day, uh, even when you go through major surgery. Uh, and I still had the gross burps. Uh-huh. And I was like, no, I planned against this. And so I had 24 hours of gross burps, but it was just like the 24 hours after the first 12 hours of surgery. And I don't know if that was like worse or not. You know, <laughs> un- having it unexpectedly, I think, you know, was, yeah. was bad. Ghostbooks
1: um, in general, whether you've just had surgery or not, are just awful.
0: Yeah. Um and the second round compared to the first was fairly uh uneventful. Um I went through it, I was in mostly good humor. Um, I didn't require a CAT scan, so I didn't get a terrible feeling IV. I did get, um, my saline solution instead of my dad missed a port one time. So instead of being injected into my expanders, it was just injected into the muscles in my neck, uh, uh, which that's my 10 on the pain scale, by the way. Um, I think it was something like 15, um, milliliters. You know, like a full syringe. Um, oh. I don't remember the, the measurements. But, yeah, we were at a full syringe at that point. And um, he thought I was just fussing because I didn't have numbing cream on my port. Um, but that wasn't ah. why. And then when he realized his mistake and the fact that we'd have to do it again, which we were in a hurry, he told me that... Um, You know, he used to spank us, uh, so he told me that this was my, like, punishment for some future crime, which I have still hold on to this. Um, And I remind my mom every so often so that she'll keep his word. Terrible parenting on my dad's part, by the way. Um, (laughs) But I had horrible anger management issues at the time, um, and he would, like, tell me that I would get into a fight, like, as an adult and be sent to jail. Um, Like he told me this would happen And so I was thinking like Alright this uh, get out of jail free card That I have from my dad stabbing me And injecting saline solution into my neck I'm going to use that for when I'm an adult And I get in jail (laughs) Yeah so I had the Expanders taken out And then I had so Oh, many stitches. I think I had 10,000 like over the course of these four surgeries. I think yeah. I had 10,000 stitches total. After my surgeries, my surgeon like quit being a surgeon because he had really bad carpal tunnel syndrome. Oh, that sucks. Um, yeah, but he was like A plus at stitching. Um, I have really nice scars, and it was really funny because I saw him recently uh, in 2014, and I shaved my head for an art project I was doing where I took a cas- uh, plaster molding, of my, uh, head and all my scars, um, and he was really disappointed that I had my head shaved, um, because he was like, you have such pretty hair, doesn't it cover your scars? And I was like, yeah, but I think they're beautiful scars, and he really didn't get that, um, you know, and gave me all these options about, uh, different procedures that could be done to shrink my scars, um, but the one thing, uh, that happened the second surgery that still hasn't really been fixed is, um, The skin expander I had on my forehead, so I guess this was the first surgery, um, was so like heavy and had, was exerting so much pressure on my skull that it bent, uh, the eye, my eyebrow ridge, like it bent the skull there. Wow. Um. And that, like, I just had a dent there for a really long time. It did eventually, like, pop back out. um, But it really affected the muscles around my eyes. So I just recently was able to, like, move my eyebrows. Um, That was, like, within the last two years. um, I was able to start doing that again. Um, But I just have this one, like, saggy eye uh, that when I smile really wide, only one eye is open and the other eye closes. And I think it looks horrible. Um, Yeah, and then, you know, like... I had really bad, like, dysphoria sort of thing, Um, which one of the things I really liked about uh, coming into the trans community is that people talked openly about, like, with their uh, chests and other surgeries, um, talking about how, like, this is something they really, really wanted to do, Mm -hmm. Uh, but then when they woke up and their body was all different, um, you know, there's weird negative feelings that come with that, even if this is a change you wanted. Um, and after f- two years, I didn't have my birthmark anymore and my hairline that I've always had. And I was, I got really depressed about that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, um, you're not
1: the first person to talk about this that I've talked to. It's actually, it actually, seems to be pretty common when you have something that's a part of you for so long, like even if it's horrible or really like causing a lot of dysphoria or whatever the case may be to suddenly have it not be there anymore is really yeah. weird and like disconcerting
0: yeah and like no one told me and you know looking back on this story I just told no one told me a lot of things yeah that's for um, sure but this is the one that I was like most upset about like yeah. yeah it seems really obvious when they were explaining the surgery that I wouldn't have my birthmark anymore but like I just wasn't expecting it, and it took me really aback. And the way I felt about it, it took me really aback. Where like I um had I've been seeing a therapist uh, or social worker through my school uh, ever since I was in kindergarten. But for like a year and a half after my surgery, like we just talked exclusively about this because I was so upset about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like I am I feel pretty adjusted to my appearance now. Um, You know, it took me a while to accept my scars, um, you know, and really think that they're beautiful. And, you know, like even shaving my head uh, was really what got me to do that. Like I put myself in a position where I I, um, peer pressured myself into shaving my head because I still had. um, uh, I was still a little worried about it, uh, but Mm -hmm. once I did, like I felt so free. Um, And I felt so free to love my scars and think they're so interesting and beautiful and really accept them as being part of me. Um,
1: But yeah, that was a really
0: long, hard journey. Yeah, hard one.
1: It sounds like it. And to be so young, too, while going through it, like that's a whole other thing, like as if puberty isn't bad enough on its own.
0: Yeah. Um, and, you know, at the time, like, people called me brave. And at the time, um, you know, like, I didn't feel brave. I felt very happy-go-lucky. Like, I just wasn't processing anything that happened yeah. to me until years later. Yeah. And that's another big thing that, like, no one really understands in my life. Like, you know, my parents were there. Um, and they don't understand how, um, you know, after uh, in, in eighth grade, was when I feel like this caught up to me. Um, they just didn't understand why I was suddenly upset about it. They were like, it happened, it's in the past. And I was like, yeah, but it sucked. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, I just didn't realize how much it sucked until that moment. Yeah. Um, and like, I, 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 I basically guess I was giving myself permission to feel mm-hmm. anything about what I went through. Um, so yeah, that's my origin story.
1: Yeah, yes. wow, that's a lot.
0: Yeah, it is.
1: Yeah. I'm sorry you had to go through all that. That sucks. Yeah. The other thing that you said in our emails was, was that, you know, you, as a result of kind of like all of this stuff that you've been through as a kid, you're really hesitant to kind of move forward with seeking medical care as an adult. Um, yeah. Which I think is something that's pretty common for for people that are transitioning from pediatric to adult care there's not really like a any sort of system in place to like help that happen more more uh, smoothly and just the 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 difference between pediatric and adult care is so stark like i definitely had no idea that they made flavored anesthesia they do not <laughs> offer that to adults uh, <laughs> you know, so like, as things like that, um, you know, children's hospitals are always like, you know, brightly colored and the nurses all wear cute scrubs. And then all of a sudden you're in an adult hospital and everything's gray and terrible and everyone's miserable. Um, so can you talk a little bit about, you know, I guess, being at that transitional stage where now you're a quote-unquote grown-up and have to kind of pursue medical care for yourself and being really hesitant to do that?
0: Yeah. Um, So my transition out of pediatric care um, also really includes uh, my, like, literal trans transition Mm -hmm. Um, because I went to a – I started, instead of going to my regular pediatrician, I started going to uh, this hormone doctor uh, for basically, you know, like unless it was semi like emergency concern, um, like ex- like the, the first time I started having really, really bad like non-menstrual um, related cramps, uh, I scheduled a meeting with my regular p- uh, pediatrician to talk to her because I meet with my other pediatrician about twice a year and that's it. Um, but so my gender specialist is, I think what she's called, um, she's sort of who I see, I think I was supposed to see her soon-ish to get, um, my hormone prescription again. Um, but she's basically what I see for everything. I summarize all my problems to her, uh, like medical wise, um, and, you know, sort of, we rank them together of like, what's a big concern that we need to address, Mm -hmm. um, and what's, like, a small concern. I had really bad headaches. I mean, like, worse than my normal right now headaches, um, that were tension headaches due to carrying too large a backpack, and she was the one who troubleshooted too heavy a backpack, so she troubleshooted this with me. She wrote my doctor's notes for that, but that's, of course, something I totally could have gone to my regular pediatrician with. It's just that this clinic really specialized in a therapy, um, sort of aspect of health. You know, they, Mm -hmm. uh, They have a therapist there as one of their main staff just to talk to people. Um, You know, it's supposed to be about gender stuff. But just knowing that my doctor works, like, really closely with a therapist um, and going to therapy sessions in the same building. um,
1: Yeah, that's amazing. I think we could all use that, you know, regardless.
0: Yeah, and, um, you know, like, all of that was awesome. Um, And I've sort of aged out of it, you know, Mm -hmm. like – It's supposed to be a pediatrics thing, um, but they do continue to serve uh, through 18, 19 years old, but they really try to get you to go somewhere else when you get get older. So I started going there when I was 17, and I'm 19 now, Um, and I'm not really sure where I'm going to go next. Um, You know, there's my temple campus, um, their student health thing. Um, But anyway, one really big thing there was... um, after I had a really bad gynecological um experience, which was the only experience, like, I've been through a lot of traumatic things, not medical related, uh, that's the only one that I have flashbacks of, yeah.
1: um,
0: so I went to the therapist for this gender specialist, uh, and we talked about it, and had a lot of great therapy sessions, um, and then, you know, like, with my gastrointestinal butt stuff, uh, I really needed that to get looked at, because it was possible I had a soft tissue infection, like, so much fun, right?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, and but- so stuff always fun so I talked to the therapist really in depth before it was going to happen and I brought my dad to the um, gynecologist uh, in the first place because like I wanted him to be there and read my body language and advocate my right and like talk to the doctor for me while I'm like so paralyzed and Mm -hmm. upset about being in a medical setting that like my communication is impaired like I needed him to be there Um, and so since he epically failed at doing that, you know, um, (laughs) yeah, I couldn't, um, I couldn't trust him to sit with me for any other medical exam. Um, and then my mom, she's the working parent. She has a job. She can't take off work just to take me to what should be a routine medical care. Um, so my therapist, um, was the person to stand in the corner, um, and, you know, calm me down and talk to me and talk to the doctor, um, and when I was talking to the doctor, I was talking about, like, please don't touch me in these ways with this type of pressure, please don't call my body parts these things, um, you know, like, let's just not talk about my body parts at all, um, please do this and not this. Um, and you know, even before we got into that conversation, I just got to talk to her a little bit about like my art and what I'm doing and how my life is. Um, and sort of really, um, you know, since when I was a kid in the hospital, no one talked to me about these things, you know, they're just like, you're here for the surgery and we're going to prep you for it. And then you're going to have the surgery and then you're gone and we're not going to, you know, you're just a cog in the machine. You're not a person. Mm. Um, And in some ways like that, in some ways that's comfortable. You know, sometimes I just want to get in and out of there as fast as possible. I don't want to have to think about it. But that's like, just because it's comfortable doesn't mean it's healthy and doesn't mean it's the right way to approach it. Um, But having a really successful feeling... You know, where most doctors are like, how are you? Like, that's not a good question, you know, for me to open up about myself. It's never been. Um, But being told, hey, so I hear you're at this school. Like, how's school doing? What's your favorite classes? Is there a project you're working on that you really like? You know, having that sort of conversation is great. Um, And, you know, my therapist really encouraged that to keep going, um, you know, when she could tell like, oh, I'm not ready for this exam. I'm still uncomfortable. She said, um, why don't you talk to Soul about, you know, this, this, and this? Um, you know, because, uh, we start therapy sessions the same way. So she was like, um, ask Sol about Soul's art, um, and the doctor did, um, and then I had the butt exam, uh, and it was, it was, it was uncomfortable, but I wouldn't call it traumatic. Um, and that was amazing because mm-hmm. I feel like I had never had enough, like, after my surgeries, I felt like every single medical exam was low-key traumatic. Yeah. Um, Just being in a doctor's office is low-key traumatic. Yep. Um, and it definitely like, it was is for like, me. <laughs> it was like the world changed with that. Yeah. Um, the butt problem still not fully resolved. It did get a lot better. But, you know, the... Um, Since they didn't know what it was, I don't know how to follow up with them and be like, yeah, it's still a problem, but not as much as a problem. Um, And I don't know how to go to someplace new and be like, I'm having this problem, but you can't touch my butt until, like, we know each other better.
1: (laughs) You need to at least take me to dinner first.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or pet my dog. (laughs) Yeah. Um. And you know the the student health. I've been a couple of times. um, One time I was having like extra bad intestinal cramping to the point where I thought that I might have to go to the ER, like maybe something burst or Mm. something. You know, like something had to be really really wrong. Because I always have, you know, I mean not like always, but like I'm used to getting intestinal cramping, um, fairly painful intestinal cramping. Um, But this like this was like something's wrong. uh, and I found out later that it was related to just like a mental break I was having at the time. Um, and I went to student health. It was super late at night. Um, it was right after a group therapy session I was going to. Uh, and there was only a nurse on call. Uh, so we sat in her office and she talked to me. And she was actually lovely. Um, I think outside of the gender specialist, she was one of the best doctor nurses I've ever talked to. Um Because she's going over all these things um, and asking me to take my temperature and asking me if she can do this and that, um, and going over all the things that, like, my random intense cramping might be, um, and, you know, sort of in the end says... um, you know, like, I, uh, your appendix hasn't burst. If it did, these would be the symptoms you'd also be having. This hasn't happened because you'd be experiencing these symptoms if it had. Um, and then sort of ending and saying, you know, like, I don't want to say that this is just stress, um, but finals are coming. Like, I don't want to, like, she did say, like, I don't want to dis, um, invalidate you and say that this is just stress. But do you think it could be? Because I can't think of anything else it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, and asked like uh, like, are you prone to that? Finals are coming up. Do you think that's what it could be? I'm going to give you uh, some ibuprofen and some Tums, and you can take them. Um, and you know, if it's uh, if you're still worried about it in the morning. Um, I'll put you, like, right now I will put you in to speak to the doctor about this in the morning. Even if it clears up, still feel free to come in and speak to the doctor about this. You won't be wasting anyone's time. Um, and my big concern was, like, do I have to go to the ER? You know, like, I, li- I don't know how to assess if I need to go to the ER. Yeah. Um, I have I li- no <laughs>
1: idea. I have no... Because, like, you know, if you do have chronic health issues and you've had all this you know, really nutty stuff happened throughout your life, you know, if you were to use the metric of, like, a normal person, quote-unquote normal, uh, as to, like, when you're supposed to go to the emergency room, you'd be there constantly, so it makes <laughs> yeah. it really hard to, like, figure out, like, okay, so when are things actually an emergency?
0: Yeah, and I know that, um, if I do ever need to go to the ER, my parents need to be there, Yeah, because um, I can shut down and go nonverbal yeah. and that's that is one of my worst fears is somehow ending up in the B- ER and not being able to talk um, mm-hmm. and you know even recently I have started to have this problem again where not only do I go nonverbal but I become paralyzed and I can't move um, like other people can move me um, but like you can just sit me down in a chair and I'll sit there and I'll not move and I'll not talk and I'll not be able to and inside I will silently be screaming at myself to move I'll be yeah. calling to other people for help and I'll not be able to do anything. Um so the thought of that happening terrifies me. Yeah, that's I live really alone. Scary. I don't have a roommate who can come and get me. Um if something goes wrong and I can't reach my phone to call 911 or to call uh the campus EMTs, like I'm just going to be stuck there. Yeah. Um I could die. I bring that up a lot. Oh, I could have died. (laughs) But you know, that's the, that's the concern. Um, and she was really wonderful about saying like, this is when, um, you know, like, this is why you would need to go to the ER and this is when you should, um, if the pain persists after you take these things, um, and if you can't sleep, you should go to the ER. And I'm like, what? (laughs) if you can't sleep you should go to the ER what is she talking about there have been so many times pain was so bad I couldn't sleep and I've been on medication
1: yeah
0: that doesn't make sense she's gotta be wrong <laughs> um but I ended up coming home um to be with my parents and to be with my dog um or my parents dog I have my own dog now because <laughs> um, it was uh Like, it was probably stress-related, it was mental health-related, and I just really needed to be with them that night. Um, So Mm -hmm. I came down for the night, I went up to classes the next morning, and, you know, uh, by the time that I was in the car with my dad halfway home, the pain was gone, Mm. you know, or as gone as it gets. Yeah. So, and it was, it was, you know, I miss my parents a lot as a college freshman (laughs) living alone. I see them a lot more than I know other people see them. Um, But, like, I need a service dog. And they were the people who were my service dog for years of my life. I miss them all the time. Aw. Yeah.
1: Well that's that's sweet.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh it's so complicated though.
1: Yeah. Well it definitely definitely sounds like it. Well, thank you so much for your time and for sharing all of this with me. But I hope you have a great rest of your day.
0: Yeah, I hope you do too. I have some dogs to walk.
1: Okay, right, well, have fun. Bye. Thank you for listening to In Sickness and In Health. Check out the links in the show notes to learn more about some of the things we talked about today and today's accompanying bonus episode. You can find more from us at InSicknessPod.com and on social media at InSicknessPod. If you can take a few moments to rate and review the show on iTunes, it helps other people find us. And don't forget to be excellent to yourselves and each other.